1: Welcome in and thanks for joining us for another edition of the Pipeline Podcast. Tim McMaster here along with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo. Prospects continue to make their way to the big leagues before the big rush in September. We'll touch on some of the high-profile guys who have gotten the big call over the last week or so. And we're going to talk about players drafted in June who are off to great starts to their pro careers. And to kick off that conversation, we're joined by the number one overall pick in the draft by the Minnesota Twins, Royce Lewis. Royce, thanks for taking some time with us.
2: Yeah, no, thanks for having me, guys.
1: Royce, I guess my first question is you quickly, obviously, after the draft, had to adapt from high school baseball to the Gulf Coast League, and then it didn't take long before you were promoted up to Class A with Cedar Rapids. So there's been a lot of change so far. Just talk about dealing with all of that.
2: Yeah, it's been a lot of whirlwinds of emotions, and uh, it's been a lot of fun as well. I can tell you that. Playing baseball every day is a dream, and uh, I'm loving it and having a lot of fun doing it.
3: No, Roy. So a lot of times, you know, the you know that this first summer is kind of getting your feet wet, just sort of getting a sense of what pro ball is, is like. Yet, you know, you, not only did you get to do that in the Gulf Coast League, but then then you get the news that you, you're getting promoted up a couple of levels to to the Midwest League. Take us through what that was like when you found out about that, you know, about the promotion, and obviously, you know, four hit day in your in your debut in the Midwest League, you kind of set the bar kind of high for yourself.
2: Uh, It was definitely very surprising when I got the call. Um, They brought me in the office and told me I was going to CR, and um, I was very excited and um, a little sad I was missing out on my teammates down there and the playoff push we were making down there, but then again, I was really happy that I was going to be joining a new team and meeting a bunch of new guys that are in the playoff push as well in the Midwest Midwest League. So yeah, It's been a lot of fun, and then Obviously, that first game, I kind of set the bar a little bit high, but <laughs> it's all good. I mean, we're going to keep having fun and keep working hard.
0: Royce, I mean, you're off to a great start so far in your pro career. I mean, you're hitting close to 300 with extra base power and stealing bases and playing a solid shortstop. What were your expectations coming in? Has it? I don't want to say it's been easy, but, I mean, has, has pro ball, well, what has surprised you the most about it? And what do you think is the biggest adjustment you're going to need to make as you continue to rise?
2: Uh, what, what surprised me the most is how the coaches and management have been laid off about me playing. They just let me go out there and do my thing and uh, kind of let me grow up on my own. And I feel like um, I've been able to do that so far, and I've been appreciative of the opportunity that I've had to come up to the, to the Rapids team and play and, and play in the Gulf Coast League. But, um, you know, as far as just me improving, I think i got to improve on everything. I'm still a young guy, I'm 18 years old, working on a lot of things in baseball, and Improving on maturity is a big thing and just the mental side of the game, but um, hopefully I'll get physically a little bit bigger and get into that power aspect and then keep up the speed.
3: Well, Royce, I know one of the things, you know, coming into the draft that uh, you you'd said is that you were eager to prove to people that you can stay on the dirt, uh, you know, with a lot of people saying, well, maybe you'd be better off in, in, in center field with, uh, with the, the tools that you have. You know, at least for now, the twins have let you go out and and do just that play every day. How have you felt that has been going, and and you know, is that still a a, a motivator for you to sort of prove to people that you can play shortstop shortstop for the long term?
2: Yeah, of course. I mean, I just I love that position, you know, by heart. And um, like I said before, if I have to move to center field, I have no problem moving doing that and moving to center field and playing, you know, a great center field out there as well. But um, I'm here, and it helps to, you know, prove people wrong sometimes. And I just – I love the position, and I think I can do it. And the coaching staff has been really supportive of that, and they've helped me a lot, and I feel like I've improved a lot already.
0: Flashing back to, to draft day for you, Royce, how hectic was that for you? I mean, I know there was some uncertainty as to who was going to go number one. I think right up until the time when the Twins made the pick, what did uh, – what did you know before the pick was made? How early did you find out, and were you obviously there's some pride involved? But I mean, were you worried about going number one? How hectic was that draft day for you?
2: Oh, it was very hectic, but it was awesome. I was there with my family, and um, they were very supportive of whatever happened. And, um, I actually had no idea until they called my name, uh, and Rob Manfred called my name, and that was just, that was an amazing feeling. I actually started crying. Um, just because I knew all the hard work finally paid off, and, and it was just the start of a career, a lot hopefully a long, long lasting career. And um, so now I've got to put in more hard work to get where I want to be. But um, that day was just very special to me, and like you were saying, very hectic, a lot of emotions, and a lot of people texting your phone, blowing it up. But it was it was fun a lot.
1: Hey, uh, Royce. Um, speaking of the draft and and being the number one overall pick. Um, Something comes with that. I mean, there's obviously some expectations for a team that takes a player number one. At any point since draft day here through your first pro season, have you kind of felt that pressure or or noticed that other players kind of look at you differently because you went number one?
2: Um, Yeah, a little bit. But uh, from a pressure standpoint, I feel no pressure at all. Um, I just definitely put a lot of expectations on myself um, and pride in myself and do what I do every day and be the same person I am every single day and I try to I set the standard for myself and then I hopefully set the standard for you know the team and the teammates as well um, that's my goal each and every day that's what I've been living and that's how I live each and every day and um, mm-hmm. from the prep standpoint I feel like I don't really worry about that stuff because I don't want to put any kind of pressure on myself into playing a game at the end of the day it is a game and it's a lot of fun and I have fun doing it each and every day
3: Royce, uh, I want to ask you, I mean, this draft class had, uh, you know, a good amount of really intriguing high school guys, guys that you, you know, did the summer showcase circuit with, guys from Southern California. How much have you kept in touch with them? And do you have, you know, some, some early bragging rights because, you know, uh, you've made it to, to full season ball already. I mean, you know, you've made it to full season ball, and, and Hunter, you know, has, hasn't even really played yet. So can you hold that over him going into the offseason?
2: Um, no, nah, you know, I'm not I'm not that kind of guy to do that, no, not at all, but Hunter is a good friend, and I've been keeping in touch, it was actually his birthday, uh, I believe last week, or it was recently, and um, I wish him happy birthday, um, it was a pretty good day for him, I'm happy, he finally turned actually 18, he's a young guy, um, but no, he's he's doing well, and I believe each team has a purpose for a different player, and um, I was lucky enough to have mine be in Cedar Rapids already.
1: All right, Royce. Well, thanks so much for taking some time with us. Uh, continue good work out there in Cedar Rapids. Enjoy the rest of your first pro season. Thanks so much, guys. Thanks for having me. All right, that was Royce Lewis, number one overall pick in the draft back in June. And, guys, it's uh, some interesting things out of that. One that, uh, J- Jonathan, you mentioned he's playing shortstop. And I guess it makes sense in an organization where, hey, at the end of the day, Byron Buxton's playing gold glove level center field. So, You wouldn't move him there, right? I mean, it makes sense to let him play short as long as he can stay there.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think uh, anytime you have a player uh, where that's a question, but there's a chance, you let him play shortstop for, you know, as long as you can. You know, the the sort of general axiom is let him play his way off the position, Uh, you know, and he is. talented enough where there's an obvious place for him to move and no matter where he moves it's going to be up the middle in a premium spot uh so he he already has that going for him So buxton or no you let him play there for as long as you can i mean you know, adam jones played shortstop for as long as he could until you know they moved him out to center field and you know i think it, it, he could prove that he could stay there he has some some tools to to stay at short it's not like a slam dunk oh there's no way this guy can play short i think it's more that some people just thought that he, he might be that much better in center uh um, and not oh he can't handle playing short so uh i think he is going to use that as a as a motivator for him to to continue to work to show he can stay and he's got the right attitude if they decide they need to move him to the outfield so be it
1: Jim, is it is it rare for a high school kid who gets drafted to quickly move up two levels like Royce has so quickly this summer?
0: Yeah, you don't usually see guys, you know, high school kids in low Class A, their first professional season, you know, teams – usually take it slow i mean we we are getting to see guys play more since we have the earlier signing deadline that has been in place for about six seven years now uh you know we don't have guys signing august 15th and, and then you know it takes forever you know and then they kind of right off the summer for, for some reason i don't know why this guy jumped into my mind courtney hawkins is the last guy i can think of and, and there's probably been somebody since then um, and, and Courtney Hawkins actually finished his first full year in High Class A when the White Sox took him in the first round, um, and then unfortunately that kind of led to an accelerated development path that that really wound up not serving him well. But I, I just think with Royce, I mean, he's a talented hitter. Um, you know, they, you know, and again, you, you're watching this guy every day. You know, you, you wouldn't rush the guy if you didn't think he could handle it. But he's a talented hitter. You know, we could tell in our brief interview there. I mean, very mature for a high school kid, um, and they didn't think he'd be overwhelmed, and so far he hasn't. So you kind of have to play it, you know, each guy's a different player. But I think in Royce Lewis they have a guy who, who's fairly talented. I, I would still think that he would begin next year back in low Class A. But if he's ready to handle it, why not get him acclimated there? Because I, I do think that that's one of the toughest places to hit. Maybe the toughest hitting environment in minor leagues is the Midwest League.
1: We're going to move on to some other players drafted in June that are off to great starts so far this summer. But before we do that, we want to take a moment to tell you about the cut forecast The Cut Forecast is the podcast from the staff of MLB.com's Cut Force section, which focuses on the lighter side of baseball. If you've made it this far into our podcast, we really think you'll enjoy it. It'll make you laugh, and you might even learn something about baseball dogs or ballpark food. Last week's episode included in-depth analysis of the Best Players Weekend nickname choices with special guest host Jake Mintz of Cespedes Family Barbecue. If that sounds like something you're into, search Cut Forecast. That's C-U-T, the number four C-A-S-T, an Apple podcast or wherever else you get your podcast and click subscribe. Now on with the show and on to some other guys off to great starts. And, Jonathan, you do have an article up on Pipeline.com about this. Um, one question before we get into the specific players that I have for you guys is – When you talk about hot starts of pro careers, and we just talked about Royce Lewis doing it from the high school level, how much tougher is that as opposed to kids coming in from the college level and and making their debuts?
3: You know, I don't think it's as tough as it used to be. Uh, You know, so many of these kids have competed at such a high level, whether it's, you know, some of those showcases, which I know isn't always like real baseball, but. Uh, You know, you look at like East Coast Pro Showcase or Area Co games where they played multiple games, Tournament of Stars. Uh, Maybe they played for the USA team in international competition. Uh, So I think many of them have, uh, you know, a better handle of what the level of competition is going to be like. Maybe they're not used to it day in and day out, but they've seen something close to it at least at times, and I think that helps. Uh, So that I think that gap has closed. Uh, considerably you know, in, in recent years compared to you know way back when when there wasn't as much uh, in terms of competition in the high school level.
1: The number one bat on your list is Keston Hiura. Uh, he was the number overall pick. He went to the Brewers and he is raking so far this summer, um, but he still hasn't played the field. Jim, at some point, right, he's in the National League. At some point, he's going to have to play the field. I guess they, they don't think he's going to need surgery, but you know he can hit. At what point does Keston Hira have to test the rest of his game?
0: Well, the, the, the Brewers feel pretty confident, You know, at least you know, from public statements they've made, that he won't need – they don't think he needs surgery, which is interesting. I mean, I'm not a doctor. They've obviously looked at it more than me. I, I just think when you haven't played in the field in more than a year, you haven't been able to throw for more than a year that, you know, that's not necessarily a good sign. But I think they're going to try to play him in the field, you know, maybe in the next week or so. It seems like there are reports that, that you know, that they want to give that a go and see how it looks. And, I mean, and the nice thing is, I mean, and look, stats in your pro debut really don't matter a whole lot. I mean, you'd rather see your guy get off to a good start than a bad start, but they really don't mean a whole lot. But here's Case – they're kind of reinforcing what a lot of people thought, that he might have been the best hitter in the draft. Um, And he's come out and he's hit over 380, and he's made it up to A ball already you know i i think if he can't play second base long term nobody really knows cuz he hasn't been able to throw well enough to try him there and to really see i don't know if it's really going to matter cuz i think the bats can hit enough to profile on an outfield corner so it'll you know i'll be curious to see if he can avoid the surgery and stick in the infield but but regardless that bat is is tremendous
1: and obviously Jonathan that's going to play a big role in speed to the majors. I mean, if he can avoid surgery, that's a big difference as opposed to. I know he's not a pitcher, so it's not like it would be a year necessarily setback if he had Tommy John surgery, but it's at least probably half a season if he had it done in an off season. Um that that that'll make a big difference as far as development.
3: Oh, without question. Because he's shown he's so advanced and you know, I agree with what Jim said about, you know, this the summer that Results don't matter. If you're an advanced college bat, though, and you hit like he has, and he's you know moved levels and and things of that nature, then we're talking about a guy who's fast tracking and could be one of those college bats who gets to the big leagues, you know, in a year, year and a half. Um, you know, uh, obviously it may take him a little bit, tiny bit longer just because he hasn't played the field in so long. Um, so that we'll have to watch to see how that develops, but. In terms of the bat, I think he's showing you know, that this is a guy that maybe could go straight to double-A next year, assuming that he's you know, 100% healthy, and then you know, all bets are off in terms of, of when he might be big league ready. It might not take that long at all.
1: And then another uh, hitter that maybe was at that same level at the college level, Pavin Smith, also doing it. And I mentioned here uh, at the time of publication, I guess, for your article, Jonathan, I didn't check the stats today, but he was slashing 404, 456, and then 679, so really doing it all. And Paven Smith also way over 300, the on-base percentage well over 400. Um, and, and he's doing what he did in college, Jim, and that is they're good at bats and, and he's not striking out a lot, he's walking a lot.
0: Yeah, I mean, again, I mean, you you like it to you like when your team to see that your impression of a guy is being reinforced in in his pro debut, and you know, I'm not surprised that that Pavin Smith is putting together good at bats and controlling the strike zone, or that you know Adam Hazley has looked you know very polished at the plate for the Phillies, or. Or even a guy like like Brent Rooker, who was just on our pipeline uh, team of the week this week, you know, is hitting for power in high class A. They've moved him kind of aggressively. He's a little bit older draft pick. So, you know, Logan Warmuth is another college guy who won the first round, who's playing well for the Blue Jays. So I just think when you're a a team, you're just very enthused to see these guys. One of the college guys who's kind of intrigued me is Michael Gigliotti with the Royals, who who wound up falling to the fourth round after coming into the year's potential first-round pick and having kind of an up and down year and then putting things together late in the season at Lipscomb, and and he looks like he's back to being more of the player that that scouts saw in the Cape Cod League last year. So again, you don't want to read too much into these stats, but it, it, it's nice when guys get off to good starts.
1: And then another high school player, since we did talk to Royce Lewis, Joe Adele was a guy that at one point Jonathan was in that discussion as... A possible number one overall guy um, over the winter and, and early in the spring, and he's off to a great start. Uh, drafted by the Angels, and he's kind of done everything, which was his calling card, right? He's a toolsy guy.
3: Yeah, yeah, he's come down back down to earth a little tiny bit since the story ran, but he's still with the slash line of two eighty four, three forty seven, and five fifty. Um, and for a guy who you know the swing and miss was a concern, he has He's got a decent amount of strikeouts, 28 strikeouts and 109 at-bats, 29 games. Um, but he's drawn 10 walks. Uh, you, you know, Again, results don't matter that much. But for a guy who is sort of raw and toolsy and people worried about the transition, I think just for from a, a confidence boost uh, for him and for the organization to see him go out and and have a solid approach, more than just the the numbers. The, you know, to have a fairly solid approach uh, is, is encouraging, and then uh, they'll give him an idea of what he needs to work on at, at Instructs and, and sort of gives him a really good foundation heading into his first full season next year.
1: Talk about numbers not really being huge early on for the hitters and then the pitchers. A lot of these guys don't even get that much work. And, and on your list, you have Mackenzie Gore, who obviously was the, is the high school lefty and, and went to the Padres real high in the draft. And he's looked great, but Jim, very limited as far as uh, innings, just eight and two-thirds so far, which is what you see, especially, I guess, with with um, you know high school guys that you want to ease in or college guys if they worked a lot. But But it's nice to see that he's been dominant in that very limited action.
0: Yeah, I mean, you're not going to pile in. I mean, most of your college guys are going to have pitched, you know, 100-plus innings. So, you know, you're not going to give them a a ton of innings. And, you know, a guy like McKenzie, you know, pitched. He didn't pitch 100-plus innings, but he still threw a lot at at Whiteville High in the spring. I think he's up to a whopping 12 innings now, Tim, with with, with 18 strikeouts. But, you know, again, I mean, McKenzie Gore – in the Arizona League, which is the lowest level of U.S.-based minor league baseball, um, you know, and, and being able to show you four-plus pitches with control, you know, again, you're not going to say, "Oh boy, he's even better than I thought." But you know, when you take the guy with the third overall pick and you know what he brings to the table, you're expecting he's going to dominate rookie-level hitters, and he's done
1: just that. Kyle Wright has been moved up to Class A, advanced the Florida State League. He's been good as well. One guy, though, I wanted to uh, talk about is that you put on your pitchers list, Jonathan, and, uh, and I think you wanted to get a little conversation going there, is Brandon McKay, who has pitched well for the Rays as a left-handed pitcher, obviously drafted by the Rays as a first baseman. Is this, I mean, we knew they were going to let him pitch a little bit, and, and it's Hunter Green's going to get to hit a little bit, but... Would you almost? Do you think the Rays would prefer him not to be as good as he's been pitching? <laughs>
3: uh, you know what? They're they're intrigued and okay. they're going to let him keep doing this. Uh, this is not going to end this summer. Um, I don't know how long it's going to go for. Um, but uh, I actually uh, talked to uh, some people with the Rays yesterday, uh, looking into this because he's been you know so good off the mound. Um, they're they 're going to let him continue to try to do both for as long as it looks like he uh, he can can do it now i don 't know if that 's part way through the first full season uh, you know i don 't think they have an end date right now um, you know nobody has seen anything like this in in quite some time or, or if at all, and certainly not you know a player who 's been given the opportunity to do both there 's been you know, some who, uh, who have been talented enough, you know, as Jim has pointed out countless times leading up to the draft. Dave Winfield is probably the best example, uh, but he wasn't given the opportunity to do both pro games. So I think this is going to be one of the most fun storylines in 2018 uh, to see uh, how he does doing both, how long he does it for, uh, and how the organization, uh, you know, there's no developmental map for this. Um, You know, uh, the only thing I can think of was a while ago when Casey Kelly uh, really wanted to play shortstop, and then the Red Sox let him play. They made an agreement that the first half of the year he'd play short, and then the second half of the year he'd pitch. Uh, And by, you know, midway through that, uh, he realized that he wasn't going to hit enough, and then he focused on pitching. Uh, That's not what's going to happen here. He's going to be doing both, so it's going to be fun to watch. Well,
0: then the difference, too, was with Kelly, he didn't do both at the same time. And they actually flipped it on him, Jonathan. They, they had him begin his first full year as a pitcher. And, you know, lo and behold, he started in the Futures game, too, to show him how great pitching was. And then they promoted him to high class, A as a teenager, as a hitter. And shockingly there, he was overwhelmed as a 19-year-old in the Carolina League, and he realized pitching was the way to go. The only guy that I can remember dabbling in both – but I know there, there's there's probably been more, but Frankie Rodriguez, when he signed with the Red Sox as a high-profile draft and follow, um, well, you know what? My my memory's faulty because I was going to say I thought he did both, but no, he came out and hit his first pro summer, and then they made him a full-time pitcher the next summer. So I, I can't think of a guy who at the beginning of his career has done both at the same time. You know, it'll be no. it'll be very interesting. With McKay, now, I I will say as a caveat, he's pitched three games and no more than three innings. It'll be, you know, if they're going to develop him as a starting pitcher and a hitter, I think that would be unprecedented, and and I, too, am looking forward to seeing how that unfolds.
1: Yeah, it'd be great to watch, and I guess the test for the Rays is, you know what, you make sure that he's not costing himself at either one by doing both, and that's something that's probably tricky, Um, but, but that's why... That's why they drafted him, I guess, and that's why they'll keep an eye on him. All right, I want to talk about some of the promotions here over the last week or so to the big leagues before we end this podcast. And uh, some interesting ones. Some, some uh, all bats for the most part. Um, Ryan McMahon, the Rockies' number three prospect, uh, got called up. Uh, Jonathan, I think that you're a bigger Ryan McMahon fan than Jim, but I could be wrong. Is that correct? I don't know if that's really
3: true. Okay, all right. I don't know that, right. that's that's fair. Um,
1: because uh, I know Jim
3: likes Brian McMahon. McMahon. Yeah, you just you took a shot at, and They're I'm, I'm, hate I'm me the first to point day out. Now. Thanks. <laughs> um, I think we we like him equally. Right, I, I think enough. that's fair. Um, <clears throat> I have liked him for a long time. Uh, I can only, yeah, you know, I, I can only say because I, you know, I saw him play in high school. Uh, you know, in the NHSI. Um, So I may have liked him for longer than Jim has, but that's only because I actually saw him in person. Um, But I think what's been impressive with Ryan McMahon is a couple things. Uh, He really struggled last year, uh, and he would never make any excuses. But, you know, that was a year in in Hartford where they didn't play a single home game um, because their ballpark wasn't, wasn't ready, so he had to deal with that. And then he struggled in the fall league, but he took all of that and really uh, made adjustments and hit his way from double-A to triple-A, continued to rake there, Uh, and and he's added to his versatility. Um, A lot of guys who, you know, he's a solid third baseman, um, may have balked at, well, no, I don't want to play first also but he did that and then they started having a play second and he embraced that as well so now suddenly you have a guy who can help a team making a playoff push uh, even if he's not in the lineup every day because you can insert him in three different spots he's got a lot more value to a to a competitive team than he may have if he were only a third baseman because obviously he's not playing third anytime soon in Colorado uh, you know, so uh, he, he's really turned himself into a, an asset that I think can help them down the stretch end and into October.
1: And Jim, uh, I'll let you since I neglected you on Ryan McMahon. Apparently, if you want to weigh <laughs> in too, uh, that's great. But he's the one guy we're going to talk about that is in a pennant race. The other guys are on on teams that are out of it. But that's always more exciting when guys make their debut and you instantly see them instantly see them in pressure situations.
0: Yeah, although the flip side is, it probably means he gets to play less than the other guys. I mean, they, you know, Matt Reynolds has had a hand injury, so I think they kind of brought him up as insurance for that. I mean, third base has been the position he's played the most in his career, but he's not going to take time away from Nolan Arenado, and he's played second, but I I don't think he's going to take much time away from DJ Lemayhew. He's looked. You know, I think it's been encouraging how he's looked at second if you talk to the Rockies, but I don't know if he's ready to play second base in the middle of a playoff race. But he's a good depth player because he can kind of back up all over the infield except for shortstop and be a good left-handed bat off the bench. So I would suspect he's not going to play a lot, but you're right. I mean, when he does get the chance, I mean, there's going to be more weighing on on his at-bats than it is on these other guys.
1: Reese Hoskins is up with the Phillies. He was their number six prospect, and he's a guy that – is it fair to say that for much of his time in the the minors, Jonathan, he was kind of under the radar until last year he put together that enormous season in Redding and then added on to it in Lehigh Valley this season. He had 29 homers when he got promoted. But it seemed like he was a guy where under the radar and then it all clicked at once in 2016.
3: Yeah, I mean, he'd always hit. You know, he was kind of this college performer – from Sacramento State. Uh, you know, it's not this huge program. Uh, his first full season, he started in low A. He hit for average. You know, he had a good year his first full year. I mean, he hit, what, 319 and had 17 homers and drove in 90. Then he went to Redding and was second in the minors and homers to his teammate, Dylan Cousins. And uh, I think everybody, myself included, is like, all right, but, you know, uh, Tim, you know as well as anybody, Redding is a good place to hit. Uh, so you, you want to see him do it beyond that he 'd shown a good approach, draws walks, yep all that 's good. Uh, he kept doing it this year i mean twenty nine homers in one hundred and fifteen games in in triple a uh, continuing to show that that good approach um, so yeah, I mean he, he was you know not on the radar to underrated to you know finally landing on our top one hundred when he when he got the call now it 's a just a question of him making the adjustments at the major league level and if his minor league career is any indication, he that's what he does. He'll make make—he'll make the adjustments, and uh, he'll figure things
1: out. I wanted to finish up with a couple of pairs of prospects going up to teams, and we saw Dansby Swanson obviously make his debut last year and play most of this year, so no longer a prospect, but he was sent down to AAA. While he was down there, Ozzie Albies gets the call up. Finally, finally, we get to see these two guys, Jim, in Atlanta together at second and short. It seems like we've been waiting a long time.
0: Yeah, it, it, it has. Although, I mean, uh, you know, the flip side of that is, I mean, how old are these guys? You know, Swanson <laughs> right. was drafted two years ago, and Albies is, is what, I think, 20 years old, if you're, he's at yeah 20. yeah, 20. So, I mean, yeah. it's, uh, it, you know... People should you know should be I mean these guys got there pretty quick, I think Swanson's only about twenty three now, and you know they you know that's definitely their future. I would suspect you know that that would be their their opening day double play combination. I know Camargo played well for the the Braves before he hurt his knee. Um, but Swanson's clearly the future shortstop, and Albies is the future at second base. And, and look, with young guys, you know, not everybody is, is Cody Bellinger and just comes in from day one and, and rakes mean Even Aaron Judge, you know, who was so great in the first half, has struggled in the second half. And, uh, you know, it'll be interesting to watch these guys develop together. I mean, that, that should be the double play combination, not just an opening day next year, but, uh, you know, for a very long time, I would think, in Atlanta.
1: And then, Jonathan, the other pair of prospects is in New York. Um, there hasn't been a lot to cheer about for Mets fans this season, but Ahmed Rosario is up. Uh, first big league home run put them ahead in the ninth inning. It was a dramatic moment, and now Dom Smith has followed him, and Sandy Alderson said when Rosario was promoted that Smith wouldn't be far behind. Um, are these the two cornerstones? of? I don't want to see the Mets. They're not rebuilding. They're hoping to reload. Obviously, they're, there's still a lot of talent on that team if they're healthy, but can these two guys quickly kind of help that team get back to being a postseason contender? Well,
3: that's a lot of pressure for two guys. Throw um, it on. Them. But uh, but sure, uh, you know, I, unfortunately they can't take the ball every fifth day, you know, and that's been one of the biggest problems the Mets have had is just health in the rotation. But if they if they can get some of the arms back healthy, uh, I think that yes, Rosario and Smith can uh, become very consistent performers. Uh, in that lineup, and, and they haven't had consistent performances, you know, at either position. In addition, uh, you know, the pitching staff is going to love having both those guys long term uh, because I think both are, are upgrades defensively. Um, and uh, you know, the two of them have worked together uh, now for for a while. Uh, and again, both are still extremely young. I mean, Smith just turned 22 it seems like we've been talking about him for quite some time just because he was a high school guy, uh, you know, drafted uh, several years ago. But, um, you know, I I think that they have a chance to really be, you know, at that foundation, you know, joining guys who are already up, um, you know, along with, say, a guy like Michael Conforto, who really is still establishing himself uh, to form a nice core of homegrown players to – to help them get back to to the top of the NL East.
1: And the Mets cleared the way. They traded Lucas Duda. They traded Neil Walker here to get those guys. uh, They're going to play a good amount, I would think, here, if not every day, most days for the rest of the season. We'll get a good look to see those guys. All right, that's going to do it for another edition of the Pipeline Podcast. We want to thank Royce Lewis again for joining us here, the number one overall pick back in the June draft. For Jim Callison, Jonathan Mayo, I'm Tim McMaster. Tune in again next week.